Merry New Year! Happy New Year. In this country, we say Happy New Year. <laughs> Thank you for correcting my English with stinks. I am Nanja Ibuko, exchange student from Cameroon. Ha 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 Beef jerky time. The Lifers Podcast with Scott Lucas, Gabe Rodriguez, and Ben Reiser. And now, here's Scott, Gabe, and Ben. Wow, Ben, so you're in New York. It looks like you're, sounds like you're feeling pretty, pretty good. I feel great. Well, I had a I had a couple of drinks with dinner, so that, that's that's the point. Is I'm that what you? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm trying to insinuate. So you're using the same mic that Gabe is using. Yeah, how does it sound? I don't know. It seems like it doesn't have much dynamic range. Is when you get back a little. It, yeah, well, because Gabe's always swallowing his mic. Like this. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Exactly. All right, I'll I'll, I'll I'll Gabe this mic from here. <laughs> no, you don't have to Gabe it. I'm just. No, Gabe is not a verb. Uh, <laughs> oh yes, it is. <laughs> I gave I gave my car after the talking I've, to you. Gabe. I've had a gaved up year. I've just twenty twenty one was really man gaved. No, it's not. It's a it's a pejorative. If that's did a word. Have, did you have a gaby type of year? <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, did you guys have ga- Did you guys have gaby toy and hobby back at the mall in? Uh, um, Zion. We had no. this store at Kings Plaza, which was our shopping mall. We had Beanie called. Gabies. It was KB, K, letter K, letter B, toy and hobby. And that's oh, where yeah. we would get on. But yeah. I was just, I was making a joke. I don't think I ever knew what that was. Yeah. Just like that, you know, that Ross yeah. uh, store. Yeah. What is that? I don't know what that is. It's I've a seen it, store. And I just it? realized it. I always thought it was just, you know, uh, an art supply store, obviously because of the. What's that guy's name? Herbert Ross? Bob Ross? Bob Ross. <laughs> I <laughs> thought it was... <laughs> I thought Ross was like J.C. Penney's. I thought it was a department store. It is. It's like a TJ Maxx discount kind of store. You can tell we're all dudes here because none of us shop there. <laughs> but I've been there with my wife plenty of times. I guess you, your wives don't shop there. Maybe they do. I don't know. Uh, there well, is we're, a, we're just uh, more of a dude's than you we just send our wives off to shop without us <laughs> dudes all right. you can tell we're all dudes here so I, I set up a I set up a, um, a Spotify playlist a collaborative playlist like we used to do back in the day when we were doing companion playlists for our podcast but I set this one up with my kids and I said kids throw on as many songs as you want I'll throw on songs and that'll be our 
that'll be what we listen to in the car because it's always oh, a fight go. about what it, it went all right but at some point um my daughter had picked a song by somebody named Mitski uh-huh and then we got into a conversation about the fact that there's all these women who have like one name like Cher but like the new generation share one name and I, I don't know anything about any of them and can't tell any of them apart and I always forget who's who so we got into this thing about who's Halsey and who's Mitski do either one of you know no yes I know Halsey is the one who uh, just put out the record with Trent Reznor she has yes. a baby I know yes. that that's Halsey yes that is right but I couldn't even remember Halsey's name for a while I was like no there's another one not Mitski and she's I think Madonna. she's, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my generation. But this one, I think she's bipolar and I think she just had a kid and she's more rock than what we're listening to right now, which was Mitski. But did you know that Mitski is Japanese? I did not know that. <laughs> I thought it'd be Polish. Right? Right? All right. I'm all out of content for you guys. <laughs> that's it. Wow. I, blew my, I, blew, I blew my load. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know where to go. I Gabe? Uh, oh, Gabe. I don't know. Yeah. I know where we're going to go. Gabe finally watched Get Back. Give it to us, Gabe. Get out. I thought it was nine hours, but it went by quickly. It, was, it, was, it, was <laughs> it is nine hours. <laughs> I, I thought it was seven when I counted it up. But anyway, it's magnificent. It's the seven best thing I've seen. It's great. If anybody that's a Beatles fan and wants to know, the ins and outs of the Beatles in 1869. Check it out. There's not, there's not a better documentary out there right now. Is that your is, view? Yes. If you're a Beatles fan, you have to watch it. If you're not a Beatles fan, don't. That's it. Yeah, I'm really sick of listening to people talk shit about, about it as if it was made for them. Uh, I didn't really like it. Uh, it seemed like it didn't... Uh, I never want to hear I dig a pony again. I'm just like, ah, <laughs> shut up. Gabe, was it on your Facebook? Some douche got on and said, oh, I couldn't take it after an hour. It's so much fast cutting. They wouldn't, they didn't stay on any camera angle yeah. long enough for me. <laughs> fast <Yeah>. cutting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was on my page, but you know. That's, that's, that's been everybody's problem with it. It, it moves too fast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I wish more bands would videotape themselves recording their records. So yes. you watch it? I don't. I don't because I I don't think it'd be nearly as interesting. It's here's interesting. What, here's what's it's fascinating to me about it is all these years, like like the most famous scene, uh, other than the rooftop stuff, is when George says to Paul, he's like, "Hey, you know, I'll I'll play whatever you like, or I won't play whatever you want." You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yep. Okay. And that has always been there, and the whole Let It Be movie has always been there as an illustration of Paul was an asshole and that's why they broke up because Paul was telling everybody what to do all the time such an asshole but what's amazing about this and once again this could just be you know how you edit things but you get all this context and to me it looks like George was the asshole George was this really passive aggressive jerk at least in this period of time where it's like I don't want to do that it's like well what do you want to do I don't know you know just like you know, he's like, here's what I want to do. I want to quit, you know, and Paul's over there trying to get this idea going that they've all decided on. He's trying to push the band to do this thing. And they're all just kind of like, whatever. And, uh, you know, it kind of changes my entire 
thinking. I mean, I, I didn't think we'd see any of this footage until after Paul was dead. But, but it's amazing that it comes out, he's not dead, and in a way it vindicates him. I mean, maybe that's, maybe he, uh, you know, looked, watched over the editing more than we think to like sort of spin that narrative. And if so, well done, Paul, you really are a genius. Yeah. I mean, I, you definitely, I, it, to me, it's like, I mean, you're, you're watching Paul and it's like, he's pulling songs out of his ass every five seconds. And it's like, oh my God, he's got another one. He's got another one. He's got another one. And I think if I'm John and George in that room, I'm sort of feeling like a, like a loser. Cause I'm like, here's the guy in the band and he's got like 50 fucking great songs. Every time I turn around, he's at the piano and oh wait, now he's got let it be. Now he's got long and winding road. Now he's got get back. And then so two maybe guys, a little bit of jealousy. Yeah I, yeah. I got that vibe. Yeah. Yeah. But you're right. But Gabe, I think what you're, I think the thing that's amazing about that, yeah, there are plenty of documentaries like where you see bands in studios, but I don't remember, I don't remember ever seeing, and maybe I've just never seen one with a song as iconic as get back, which still isn't my favorite Beatles song by any means, but certainly gets a lot of play in this movie. But I don't think I've seen more than a band thing. I don't think you often or ever get to see songwriters at the moment where their noodling turns into an actual song. And then what I love in this movie is that moment when Paul's fucking around. Is he, is he playing guitar or is he playing bass? He's playing he bass. Playing bass. And it suddenly becomes, suddenly as a listener who's, who knows what the song is, it suddenly becomes Get Back. And you're like, oh shit, this is the moment he came up with Get Back. Or Paul had that in his back pocket. He knew the cameras were on, and he just pretended <laughs> that he was coming up with it. Maybe. I, li I like when they're recording, and then on the screen, it'll go, this is the version that's on the record. And you're like, right. yes! <laughs> right, that's what I want to see. I want to see them singing the words that were on tape that right. I heard for the last 50 years. Right, and you're listening to each version, and you're kind of like, is this the version? Right. And, and it doesn't say anything, and then you go to the next version and go, this sounds like the version. I go, yep, this is the version. And that that's kind of cool. So are you are, are you and Ryan ready for the New Year's Eve shows that are happening as we speak? Yes. Yeah, we, we have... Uh, we have been doing a lot of rehearsing, pulling out a lot of songs that we haven't played in a while, if ever, a couple of them. Ever? And, yeah. And uh, uh, somebody on Thursday night's show has dropped out, Jennifer Hall, because of COVID. So we're going to do an evening of. And uh, so this would have happened last night when people are listening to this now. And I'm curious. So the idea was I'm, I was going to go out there. Well, I did go out there. This is so hard trying to keep the... The, the matrix in in place right here but so last <laughs> night i walked out during jennifer's set and i said look she she couldn't do the show we support her decision but uh so that means we've got some time i've got this acoustic guitar here what local h record do you want me to play from beginning to end on acoustic I wow we that that was great what you so did. that's what i'm either going to do in a couple of days, or I did last night. So I'm curious what I played last night to find out. Um, Why don't you predict? Hopes, predict I, what you well, think. I hope that they picked uh, ham-fisted, because I think that would be pretty funny. Uh, because that's not going to work on acoustic, and, you know, 
I, I probably remember most of the lyrics. But we'll see. We'll see what happened. I don't know what happened. Hey, everybody. It's Paige Hamilton. Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, we can hear you. Can you hear us through your headphones? I can. You guys are loud as fuck. Are we awesome. too loud? You're really loud. I'm turning it down. We're helmet level. <laughs> God damn it. Helmet level, yeah. yeah. We are loud. Cheers. Cheers. Ooh, nice drink. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah, I think you just had it really loud. Hey, hey Scott. Scott, mm-hmm. first, first, I must say congratulations. I'm sorry I could not be there, but but how how did it go? Wait, you were invited? <laughs> <laughs> we missed you, man. It was it a blast? It was. It was. I can imagine New Orleans. New Orleans was good, and then we yeah. had a little little uh, another little party here. Oh, uh, next door to the Metro at G-Man is what it's called now. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. So. It, yeah, it's just been crazy. It's just been crazy. It's, you know, so we had shows and then no shows and the tour, no tour. I know you guys went out and, had, and ran into some stuff, huh? Well, yeah, but I mean, you guys have, like, how many shows have you canceled and then rescheduled? I mean, Probably these past couple of years. Probably 250, something like that. <laughs> you know, it's ridiculous. I mean, we had set, we had the biggest South American tour in the history of the band booked. We had Australia, New Zealand, Japan uh, booked. Australia's been booked. Uh, New Zealand, Japan has been booked twice, I think. No, three times. That those shows, you know, we had the tour with Ministry. It got postponed and then canceled because they pulled some stuff, whatever. Yeah. Um, what else? Oh, Europe. You know, we were supposed to go to Europe in 2020, 2020 after that 2019 tour. And it's been brutal, man. We're, we're you know, so it's just it's 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 rough. We're, yeah. we're hoping we're hoping we're going to play. You know that we, we have those shows with System of a Down and Corn and supposed to be Faith No More. But uh, those fell through. Those have been rescheduled. They were uh, for, I want to say, May of 2020. And then. uh Fall of 2020, then May of 2021, then fall of 2021. Now February 4th and 5th of 22. <laughs> it's just insane, you know. How's New York right now? Are you in New York right now? I'm in Connecticut. Oh yeah, you just my, said my, that. Didn't you? Yeah, my East Coast family is here. Um, my godson was torturing. You know, we're having a blast. He just he just farted on me like four times before this interview started, <laughs> just to Gabe, make sure. <laughs> Gabe tried to do that to us at the same time. No. <laughs> From afar. Do you still have yeah, a place great. in New York? Nope. Like I lost it during the pandemic. I lost it exactly a year ago. Oh, God. I had it for I had it for thirty something years, and uh, the I would I it's a two bedroom apartment, and um. I was sharing it. I had somebody because so, when I bought my place in LA, I wanted to keep this place and it's been going really, really well. And then the pandemic hit and this kid lost work and then he decided to stop paying. And so I just couldn't cover, and you know, I couldn't cover both places. So I had to give it up. So. Oh my God, Paige, your, your, your COVID experience just keeps getting worse and worse. <laughs> yeah. Me want to put my head in the oven. I don't know how you made it. The good news is, um, uh, you, you know, I'm triple vaxxed and healthy and feeling, you know, feeling good. So we, and I played, I'm out here. One of my best friends is out here. His son's my godson. And we played, we played two gigs, a little jazz gig, uh, on, um, what, what night I forget what night it was a couple nights ago with a jazz legend, this guy, Joe Corsello, who's mm-hmm. a drummer played with Sonny Rollins and Tony Bennett and, uh, 
uh, uh, Tommy, not, is it Glenn Miller? He played with just a great guy. Oh, it was absolutely mind blowing. So, and then we did a, a cover cover song gig. My first time I've ever done a cover song gig. We played like classic rock songs with acoustic guitars, and it was a blast. <laughs> it was like you know, it was great. It's crazy. It's like after all these years of writing and playing you know music and making albums and touring, I'd never done that before. You know, so we were doing like Led Zeppelin and almond brothers and stuff it was awesome man. Really, this is what life has come to though we're, we're just got like playing anywhere anywhere and any time we can so i mean did you grow up on classic rock because i can't really picture you ever listening to the almond brothers or any classic rock for i i loved the almond brothers and uh, let's i had eat a peach when i was probably 15 or 16 or 17 something like that and uh and then led zeppelin and and uh, i loved acdc and sabbath and zeppelin i used to really like aerosmith and then then i heard jazz and i kind of went off on the nerd you know uh, the nerd tangent so that was like i heard george benson actually and i uh, i just i freaked out i had no idea you could play guitar like that how old were you uh, when uh you 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 heard george benson i was eight 18 or 19 so i'd only been playing about a year uh yeah you know i got a guitar because of zap and then i heard george benson and then i went straight into that I, I was lucky i had a teacher in my hometown and he said do you like jazz and i was like yeah and he got me got me into it and i just started you know learning and it it made sense for me you know like it just made sense for me because a lot of the rock that was on the radio you and i've had this yeah. inebriated you know, fun conversations <laughs> about that stuff. And I'm like, I'm like, ah, fuck journey and foreigner and Toto. And you're like, foreigner rules. Shut up, asshole. <laughs> so, so, but it's just the music that all my friends were listening to. And it wasn't worth, you know, so I, I wanted my own thing. And then I heard, you know, I heard Charlie Parker and I really went down a path. So that, that was my. So you started playing guitar at 17. Yeah. That seems, that's, that seems late. Very late. Yeah. 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 I, it was weird. I just, I thought I had been thinking about it for years. I'd been fantasizing about it, thinking, imagining what it would be like to be on stage and playing. And I've just fell in love with it. And then, and once I um, went to college and started flunking out and I got a, I got a, I got a teacher in college, a guitar teacher. And he said, you know, I said, I want to do this. I don't want to be a doctor. Cause I, my parents were like, you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer. And I was like, Oh God. Uh, and uh, so I, my parents cut me off and, you know, and I went to a community college and um, it was the best thing I could have done. So I learned to read music and study theory and all that stuff. And I just got going and I, I practiced literally. I mean, I was one of those losers that practiced 12 hours a day, a day. You know, it's like I just got obsessed with it. And then I heard when I got to New York, I heard uh, I got to play with Band of Susans and we tore with Wire and Robert Poss turned me on to Gang of Four. And then I found I found Killing Joke on my own and the Buzzcocks and Undertones and that stuff. And I was like, oh, my God, rock music doesn't suck, you know. So that kind of got me back into that world. You know, it was. Uh, uh, yeah. So I still love jazz and, it's, you know, sit around and listen and play it every day. But I but, uh, there was there's so much great music. You know, we did that. Did you hear the Gang of Four cover we did for the tribute? Yeah. Yeah, that was so yeah. much, so much fun, man. Well done. It's tr tricky too, right? I mean, there it's it's you know, that band is funky as hell, and those guitar parts feel improvised. You know, it's like it's like funk, but you know, improvised parts. No, just, but it's also it's, like you know, you know, like the solo, like in Return the Gift. It's like 
somebody threw a guitar down the stairs and yeah exactly. and like, but it's so clipped and you're like how does how does how does he do yeah, it yeah. yeah how did they do it how, that's the it was really a great because uh, i we had done essence rare and band of susans and that was my favorite point of the set we had uh we covered that and i go this is awesome not to take anything away from robert's songs but i really you know the gang of four is obviously you know they're better band than band of susans i'm sorry you know and robert would tell you that as well right uh i love band of susans but um that was just like god this is cool and and then but then trying to do something like in the uh, in the ditch that is it's just had this you know like you say this angular pointillistic did he throw the guitar down the stairs how did he get this sound how do you get this how do you his his rhythmic sense was so unique and i realized you can you can try to capture the essence of it without you know learning it note for note you know, and that's what you have to do because, right. like, you can't learn all those parts and play no. them like that. It's just impossible, and it's just impossible. You know, and I think that was that was a bit of a kind of an eye opener for me because I always had this thing where, you know, in school, they're like, okay, you have to transcribe this, you know, Clifford Brown solo or this John Coltrane or Wes Montgomery, and you have to write down every single note, and it has to be exact. And you know, then you're you can't obviously execute that saxophone stuff on the guitar. Um, I can't even play West, you know, on, on the guitar because he, he was doing crazy stuff. Um, but you, you know, you, you can learn the notes and then just sort of absorb, I think, the, you know, the spirit. And Andy Gill was just so amazing to me. I mean, the whole band. I love that first band, you know. I mean, I love the, the later stuff, Man in a Uniform, but I really love Entertainment and Solid Gold. Those are just, uh, those are albums. Or I, I was uh, with my uh, niece, and this song came on the radio. No, my nephew. This song came on the radio. And I'm like, you're listening to Gang of Four? And he said, this is the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, what? And it's a note perfect ripoff of Gang of Four. I was just like, they should be, I hope they got sued for that shit. Like, what the fuck? Paige, have you ever gotten to talk to or meet anybody from Gang of Four? Um, I have met Hugo. Because um, he was at a he was an A and R executive at right. um, uh, Amago, and he tried to sign Helmet. And I met Dave Allen. He had that I like I want to say World Domination Records or something. And then um, I'm friends with a guy who I haven't seen him for years, but named Rick Boston, who uh, produced Alice Cooper among other things. And he had a band with uh, Dave called Low Pop Suicide. Mm. And uh, so I got to hang out with Dave a couple of times. That was a he's just a, a lovely guy i mean really really cool and and andy we invited andy to uh the show in london the last show we played in london in 2019 not knowing that he was hospitalized and sick uh and i was like god I, you know it's like i said said hello from the stage was like to, you know say hello to one of our heroes and uh he's coming tonight and then i said did anybody see andy oh. and he said no you know he didn't show up but he was he was uh he was in a bad shape, and so we, I never got to meet him. I went to go see uh, the entertainment band. Uh, for, they did two nights at the Metro, and they, they played the entire record. And, and then Shanahan was like, hey, come with me. Come downstairs. Let's, let's go meet the band. So I go downstairs, and they're all down there, and they're listening to the band. And they're all singing along with... Uh, uh, the night they drove old Dick, Dixie down. Oh, that's a great song. Wow, it was a great cool. song. Yeah, but yeah. The, and then they like, put, I think Andy put his arm around me and he started like trying to get me to sing along. And I was just kind of like 
Gang of Four is backstage singing along singing the to band. the band. It's That's just kind of awesome. like it. It's just it's it's like what I was talking about with you. I can't imagine. I could never have imagined the band yeah. being a favorite of Gang of Fours. You know? That's so cool. That's interesting. Was it was uh, was John King singing? Yeah. Fuck! Oh God, that's amazing. That is so cool. I never got to see that. That's uh, wow. That's so cool. What year was that? That was. I mean, that was right after everybody and their brother was ripping them off. Them off. Yeah. And yeah. So they were like, "Let's do this." Yeah. So that yeah. was like, I don't know, mid two thousands. Yeah. Something like oh, that. Oh my God. God. Mid- yeah. That's a life changing records. I mean, absolutely, just essential essential listening you know those are those are i uh yeah that's cool wow i wish i could have seen that then i i I assume it sounded incredible right yeah it sounded great yeah yeah it it sounded perfect and uh, oh my god you know he did that thing where when they did uh love is like anthrax where he would just yeah put his guitar on top of the amp and just mess with the the whammy bar yeah turn the volume down you turn around and he'd sing that that syncopated vocal and then when yeah, he was done, uh, he'd turn uh, around, turn the guitar back up, and just make a bunch bunch of noise. It was great. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, amazing. So you, you, you're in Band of Susans in college. So that's basically like most of us have a first band. Uh, you know, it's a shitty garage rock band. Hey. But yours is Band <laughs> of Susans. Well, I mean, I was in a band in college, uh, and, and, and don't blame me for this. Uh, the, the other guitarist wanted to call it this. It was called Twist and the Ups. And uh, I'm like, this is the stupidest fucking band name ever. It's like, no. It's, you know, and I was just like, okay, whatever. And we were, uh, this was in college at University of Oregon. When I, I got, got in a band, Susan's after uh, grad school in New York City. But uh, I, the guy, we were doing stuff like, like you know the clashes version of brand new cadillac or we did uh i I wrote like a weird angular fusion kind of thing and our drummer stood on his our tom what was our drummer he stood on his throne at a frat party and he read for the communist manifesto (laughs) (laughs) it was fucking we were just fucking with these frat nerds it was fucking awesome man it was so much fun we did we did. Uh, I what, did murder by numbers. Uh, it was a police. Uh, a police. police song. Yeah. yeah. Uh, can't think of what else we what else we played. But it was a very weird band, and and the, the name didn't suit us at all. It was so stupid. And he, <laughs> when later when Helmet took off, and uh, things were going well, he uh, he was still in Portland, uh, and uh, or or Eugene, I forget. And I think he's in Portland, and somebody said, "Oh yeah, I saw Craig, and he's." Uh, he's really uh, bummed about your success. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, fuck that. What an asshole. Like, that's just pathetic, man. He's a, I don't support you. I, I'm not coming. I'm not coming to, I'm not coming to see you. Cause I don't want to acknowledge that you, you know, did okay. You know, your it's success like, disappoints me deeply. Yeah, exa- yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. In, in the Jack Black voice your success yeah. disappoints me deeply <laughs> exactly yeah no it's just too bad but uh then a uh, band of susans i i had finished this was funny i finished grad school um i was the young nerdy guy in uh, from oregon in jazz school with all these incredible musicians i was absolutely the worst guy in the program like they were i was the youngest too but uh, these guys were incredible but i could i was a pretty good writer like mm. I, cause, cause I was, I would, 
I had the kind of concepts in my brain and the harmony and stuff, and I could come up with these arrangements. I just couldn't, I couldn't shred through giant steps, you know, you hadn't been playing and, since you were 13 either. You exactly. Know? Exactly. Yeah. So, but, but the writing was coming naturally to me. In fact, we, uh, uh, and I had, ba- you know, Todd Kuhlman bassist from Benny Golson. I had, uh, uh, Paul Meyer, the guitarist from Stan Kenton's band, uh, Steve Ture, these amazing world-class jazz musicians that just wanted to get a degree to, you know, for work and education purposes or whatever. But we had a composition class and the teacher had brought in a poem and uh, it was called uh, It's October. And it was really bad. And uh, in my opinion, it was really bad, but he had been, I didn't know that our teacher had been commissioned to write the music for this poem. And so he got an assignment was, and he said, you can write whatever you want, 12 tone music, anything it doesn't have to have harmony it can have it can you know and so i i wrote this this kind of angular melody with these descending minor two five one progressions and uh you know with fantasies fell down to earth and your lovers will be friends and it was really catchy and really obnoxious but then so the whole it was just uh, nine guys in the class and we were all sitting around the piano and everybody was singing along and rolling on the floor laughing (laughs) And the, the teacher got so pissed. He's like, well, you've really uh, you've really conveyed your dislike for this poem, uh, you know, through your music. And I go, I succeeded then. He goes, <laughs> as, and, and he goes, as punishment, you have to write three original pieces by next week. And I said, you said we could do anything. But he was so pissed <laughs> off. He was so pissed off at me. Uh, but I, I ended up joining a band of Susans. Uh, I just thought it was interesting. He handed me a guitar um, all uh, tuned to E uh, E and B, I believe. And uh, it was a lot of this single, you know, finger kind of chords and this three guitar thing and really interesting, simple, very simple, like, you know, delaying a chord, you know, I mean, not unlike my bloody Valentine where, Mm. you know, where he had the one guitar kind of detuned and, and, and stuff was hitting rhythmically a little behind. And uh, and then, you know, kind of out of phase and then in phase. And I really liked it. And I learned a lot from him. And then but I wrote some songs uh, after we were I'd, we'd been touring. We'd done some tours and I wrote some songs on my four track and I brought them in. And Robert said, you know, these are really good, but they're not right for the band. So that's when I decided to form Helmet. So I put, you know, took uh, my friend, uh, my late friend, Renee Kukuro. She worked at Rockpool in um uh, in New York, and she got she gave me a job when I because I lost my job when I joined Band of Susans. My um, I think it was my bartending job I got fired from. I can't remember. And uh, she uh, she paid for the ad in the Village Voice, and so I found I found John Stanier through that ad, and then um, her husband. What did the ad say? Do you remember? I uh, Henry uh, Bogdan uh, his ad. He reminded me. It said um, it said uh, wire. Uh, Wire Gang of Four, Killing Joke, Ornette Coleman, and um, John Coltrane, or something like. And, and I don't know. I was just thinking, like, what, what music do I listen to a lot? And that's what I listen to a lot. And so I, I was so always so naive about it. I didn't know, you know, anything about indie labels or anything. Like, you know, and when I was in Band of Susans, in fact, they got kind of mad at me. We did an interview one at one evening. And I had just gotten off work, you know, delivering, I think I was delivering those learning annex papers around to the boxes around the, the city. And uh, I was starving, so I got a cheeseburger and I sat down and then I had to take a leak. So I went in the bathroom and apparently I didn't close the door all the way. And Susan was offended because we had Gerard Cosloy 
was <laughs> was Oof. was the hot hot shit or whatever and i'm like i don't know he's just a guy i like i'm not trying to be offensive but i gotta eat dinner and i had to take a leak you know so it was it was really weird they just they were it got they got at that time i think they were too concerned with like the scene and the impression that they were making and i just never care i just never care if somebody likes us they're you know they like us if they don't you know what i mean it's like yeah to me, what makes a great band is you do your thing, you know, and uh, um, and it's 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 kind of amazing. Even back then, people a lot of bands were very self conscious. I thought, you know, and that's people said, "Was there a good scene in New York?" I'm like, "Yeah, there was. A, there were a lot of bands, and some of them were really interesting, and some of them were not." You know, what about your singing style? I mean, you know, you talk about your guitar stuff all the time, but your singing yeah. style is pretty schizophrenic. It's, yeah. It seems like you either do the smooth croon or you do the drill sergeant right right but they rarely meet within a song like is that something that you Um, you have a a rule about that or is it just no there's there's no rule it 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 developed out of out of a sense of uh first of all sense of urgency and absolute insecurity and fear um, it was alcohol fueled early on. I remember there was a version of repetition that was around somewhere in the world where I was singing a really awful melody. It was awful. And we did recorded it on this uh, at Uppsala College in East Orange, that little show. And I just said, and when we were in the studio, I'm like, this is not going to cut it. This is awful. And, and so I started uh, thinking in terms of the rhythm. And so that kind of developed out of just you know, rhythmically putting parts together like like a uh, you know it's like a puzzle. If if the, if John's in four and I'm playing in six, and I've got to find where to sing mm. in there. So and then also it's kind of modal riff music. It's not there were no really there was no you know you know five to one chord resolutions right. or anything like that. And I got completely away from uh, standard chords and harmony. And so that was. And I go, God, it sounds really good when I when I attack those notes that are that are either in the groove or not in the groove. You know, a song like Vaccination that's very weird. Um, and and uh, and the, the the singing thing, I always liked. Uh, I liked. I really like. Um, uh, you know, Jesus and Mary Chain. This wall of of noisy stuff and this melodic thing going on. So I kind of had a little bit of that, or I'd list, I loved obviously wire and killing joke. And so he, you know, uh, jazz had that sort of attacking, but melodic style. So I think then I would get a melody in my head that I liked like unsung, uh, it, you know, pentatonic kind of thing that, 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 and, you know, and, uh, but I was really insecure about it. So I'd always, and I liked the sound of John Lennon's double vocal and Ozzy, obviously. Yep. So I was like, just double that shit. Now I, I've always kind of looked at the voices like another instrument, you know, and I, I approach it as a, as a musician. And I just, I don't know if you watched the Billie Holiday documentary, which is in, incredible and heartbreaking and earth shattering. And she, her thing was imitating a sax player, right. Lester Young, you know? And so I always looked at the voice as another instrument. You know, and um, so if it calls for a, a melodic thing, I used to have this, like I say, a rule. Okay, Stooges never had any harmonies. No harmonies. But it's like, this guy, that's, that was my rule. Then I was like, God, I had this harmony idea. And I worked with Dave Sardi. He's like, yeah, I got his harmony, you know, harmony idea here is obvious. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll do it. So I do it. I go, that sounds good. 
And then I got, now I have three other guys in the band that sing, you know, and they sing well. Yeah. So I'm like, I wanted, that's, that's three more instruments. That gives me three more layers of stuff I can do. And I love right. it. I, you know, I love, I love it, but I think it's like just, journey. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I thought of you. I had my hiking partner in the in the L.A. She's a huge, huge, huge foreigner fan, and they just played <laughs> at the they just played at uh, either the Hollywood Bowl or the Greek or something like that. And she <laughs> and she said it was outstanding. But she said Mick Jones came out for like two songs, and I'm like, who's in the band? Because uh, Lou Graham can't. He's no. sick. He can't sing. It's like so it's not even foreigner. It's really funny. I hope my I hope helmet lives on like that. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I got these 14 year old kids. They're playing. They're doing this helmet tour. I'm just like, send me a check, kids. Yeah, just make sure you get the check. <laughs> right. How did you hook uh, up with Amrep for uh, Strap It uh, On? Oh, that's that. You know my uh, my friend Renee Kukuro, who is uh, Peter uh, Megaday's uh, wife, um, and who uh, she's, she's uh, passed away sadly, but uh, great, great girl, really. She worked at Rockpool, and I'm like, I was writing songs, and I said, "Yeah, the band of Susan Things, Robert, they, uh, they don't want my songs." And she said, "We'll take an ad out in the Village Voice. We'll do, uh, you know, we'll, we'll we'll do your own band, audition people." And so then I was like, "So now what do we do?" I saved up my bartending tips to record it with Donnie Fury. Uh, born right. annoying, uh, born annoying rumble, Geisha to go, and and uh, Shirley MacLaine, those four songs, eight track, and uh, so I just started sending these demo tapes around, and one of them was like Homestead, Gerard Cosloy. I was really obnoxious. To, to, if I look back on it, I, I would because you send a cassette tape, you write a letter. I go, if you don't like this tape, please destroy it, and you know, just like stupid shit, and. Mm. Uh, uh, SST, uh, I sent an SST to Sub Pop to uh, Homestead to I can't remember all these labels and I said Twin Tone, and Renee uh, Renee said I'm friends with this girl at Twin Tone uh, named Jill Faunas, you should call her. So I sent it to Jill the tape and I phoned her. I'm like Hi, I'm Paige Hamilton. I sent you that tape. She's like Oh yeah, I got it. Okay, I'll check it out. And Jill later ended up working for uh, for us. She was she was uh, worked for my manager at the time, Dave Ayers, who came along later uh and she said yeah i just you were so nice on the phone and and i felt so guilty that i listened to it for two weeks i said I, there's no way twin tone's gonna release this it's way <laughs> too aggressive right. but hazelmeyer had an office in the twin tone he was distributed by twin tone so she gave she, she goes hayes this is right up your alley and he called me he just called up he goes I want to do a seven inch of Born Annoying and Rumble and uh, I'll, you know, I'll press it, do all the artwork and everything if you that you guys send me and it's 500 copies of the seven inch. That's the payment. I was like, done. So he sent this 500 copies of Born Annoying and we just walked around to stores in New York. We would go, uh, you know, like Bleaker Bob's. Oh, there, were, there were a couple of stores on, uh, there was Sounds on uh, St. Mark's and then Joe's. I just go around with that. Go, these are five dollars each, and the, and they put it on and go like, wow, that's really interesting. Okay, we'll take two or three or whatever, and that's how we kind of did it back then. You know, it was it's uh, uh and Hayes was uh, Hayes just I don't know, he just always was a straight shooter. You know, he he like I liked his deal. Um, I heard you know we met later with the Twin Tone guys uh, with the. Uh, sub pop guys Pavit and Poneman and they were nice but they just couldn't pull the trigger they told me they said you know we were oh they actually called me I, to their credit they called me and they said this is really interesting really cool stuff 
And he said, uh, we're kind of looking for something to eclipse the whole sub pop retro 70s sound. Because mm. all the bands were kind of had that Stooges-y 70s, yeah. you know, and uh, but they but they kind of dragged their feet. And Hayes was like, this is the deal. Let's go. So we were like, yeah, let's do it. So and I, it was good for us. I don't think sub pop would have been the right label. You know, it just no. I think it worked out. Did he yeah, put you yeah. out with? Did he put you out there with uh, other Amrep bands, or did you go we, out with? We, well, we didn't know what his thinking was, and uh, we he uh, Peter Davis, who booked for Am- a lot of the Amrep bands, said, "I'm putting you know." Called me up, and he said, "You guys are amazing. I'm going to put you on a bill with uh, 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 Spen- uh, John uh, John and Christina's band, uh, Pussy Pussy Galore, right? Pussy Galore, uh, yeah, 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 and uh, and." and uh halo flies so it was a pussy galore halo flies helmet i'm gonna you're gonna open for Hayes. he's gonna shit his pants because he had come to see us at cb's peter davis and uh, uh Hayes told me he was he was just pissed because he's like he, he, we were really i mean we were good i i'm you know i'm arrogant but we Hayes was like i was so pissed off i'm like how the fuck are we gonna go on after these fuckers you know <laughs> and uh so he said he knew he had to put something out so that's kind of how that that worked and then he the first tour we did, Shannon from the Cows had fallen through some barn roof at a party in Minneapolis, broke both his arms and couldn't go on tour. So he he just plugged us in. I'm like, we're filling in for the cows. Like we're quite different, but uh, <laughs> it was it was awesome. So we did two weeks in a van, you know, and it was it was great. So it was a headlining cows tour. And then, it, wait, so they just and, plugged, plugged and you they, in. They plugged Helmet in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and somehow. Yeah, I've never just, heard of anything like it, that. Isn't that ridiculous? It's just ridiculous. In fact, like, so um, Roger Miller, who I, I just like, I, Mission of Burma was another band for me that was just like life changing. And Roger Miller, no man band, opened up for us. And no. I remember we were at the Middle East, the old Middle East. And I just went up to him. And I'm like, I, I. I was like total geek. Like I'm like I I don't know how how to follow Roger Miller, and he looks at me. He's just like, just get up and play. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> he was com- completely not having it, you know. But I was Over in it. awe. Yeah, I was in awe. I was just like, I mean, love Burma, man. I just like they were so they were so cool. But uh, yeah, fun. It was fun stuff. That was so. We started after that. Seabees uh, was really cool. We. Um, uh, they book us like every month. We did audition night at CB's uh-huh. and, uh, and, uh, Louise, uh, uh, you know, Parnassa and Hilly, like I walked in with a cassette demo tape and Louise is like, yeah, I might listen to it in a couple of weeks. If you want to play just audition. So I was like, when's the next day? She said Monday or Sunday or whatever night audition night was. And we auditioned and uh, we were lucky Mike Kirkland, the bassist from prong and, uh, Tommy Victor uh, were the guys doing front of house. Tommy doing front of house. Mike was the door. They have a little book they write in, and they said, "Book this band." You know, they, they, they were. This is really interesting, cool stuff. They can play with Unsane and Cop Shoot Cop. You know, and uh, so we did. We just started playing there once a month. There was, you know, like you've been through this where bands are. There's this little local political bullshit, and who's should headline, who should right. go on at this time, and we're. I just like we'll go on. We'll go on first. We're good. We're you know we'll play seven. We don't care. Seven thirty-eight, whatever. And um, there'd be three. The same three kids would always show up uh, at like at our shows. I, there's uh, some of the photos that we put on the live album. That you, I'm like, that's the three kids right there. This girl with short. This girl with short hair. These two guys. They were always at our shows, and uh, uh, and it just they you know it was 
absolutely word of mouth people going yeah you got to see this band and so then by the before we knew it we were doing the midnight slot so you're building this reputation in new york through a lot of hard work and there's a lot of word of mouth but you're also recording with don fury and you know you're, you're, you're i mean you're not really hardcore but did you no. ha- have a foot in the hardcore scene in new york at all other you know, than don Stan- fury Stan your Stan your loved it and he turned me on some stuff and I liked you know agnostic front we were I was we were friends with sick of it all they toured with us and they were fantastic um um and I mean I I can't say I knew a lot of you know I mean there were like I guess there's a mad ball or those bands hardcore I there, there were a lot of bands and I would see some of them uh like CBs would have the matinees and sometimes I'd walk over there um and there was uh ABC No Rio there were a couple of places where bands were playing but I, I just I just looked at a band like, you know, music. I didn't want to we didn't necessarily feel like we needed to be part of a specific thing, because then there was the Sonic Youth world. They were like the kings, you know, and then there was like Rat at Rat R and Live Skull, that kind of world. And uh, bands like the Honeymoon Killers kind of were in that world as well. But we were. I didn't, you know, I did. I just wasn't concerned with what people wanted to call. I never thought about it because I, you know, honestly, like I was still listening to John Coltrane and, and wire, you know, and they're co- completely different styles of music, but both equally amazing to me. And so, um, we, I, we, I, I think the only kind of hardcore esque bands we played with would have been sick of it all that I can, that I remember anyway, you know, I think Gabe and I saw you with quicksand, right, Gabe? Yeah. You quicksand see? opened up for you guys. And that, that was one of the things I was, I was mentioning to, to myself when I'm like, what am I going to ask him? I don't, I don't know much about yeah. these guys, but but uh, you know, bands like Prong and Leeway and Killing Time. When I think of them, Lee, Leeway, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. they were they were very metal. But you know, when you think of them, they they had a lot of things that maybe you were doing at the time. So maybe you're riffing off each other a little bit, just you know, because you're all from New York, maybe. I think there there's no doubt that New York influenced the music for me, coming from a small town in Oregon and being there. To and there was all this always this. In, uh, this this repetition this repetitive rhythm in the subway in the street when you're walking yeah. and, and i'd get these these annoying repetitive patterns in my head and then i would just i would just chop them up in my brain and turn it into a riff a bad mute came like that uh, we were rehearsing and we were stale and i said i'm gonna get coffee for us so i went down to the bodega we were at the, in hell's kitchen at the music building got four coffees and i came back up and i'm like check it out guys i got this i got this riff and it was just this repetitive, you know, da 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 da. So we're gonna go like da 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 da. And I, and we jammed on it, and immediately that John came up with this amazing beat. And then I, you know, I went like it's gonna break into this chord thing where Henry's gonna move, and we're gonna stay in the same place. And it kind of came out of that. So for me, it was always, it was always a musical coming from a, a place of music, trying to write, you know, cool riffs and cool songs. And I wasn't really worried about, you know, like I say, some of it inspired me, uh, uh, you know, when I would see it, like, I'd be like, that's pretty cool. And, uh, and uh, like, you know, others, I'd be like, that's really stale. You know, it's like, <laughs> right. it's like the same thing. And they were all, you know, the, some of the, the stuff that's always like, well, we're going to play the fastest beat you can play and then play these chords like that. I was like, to me, it sounded like a blur. I wanted some, I wanted some funk in it, you know, I mean, some space, some rhythmic kind of space. And nobody was really doing even Sonic Youth, as much as I loved them there. It was about this wall of weird harmonic stuff going on. 
but rhythmically it was the rhythm was all coming from steve the drummer you know they they weren't inserting any you know kind of space and and stuff and to me i wanted that because it was it made it made it more of a punch to me you know so yeah yeah no i mean i'm a big fan of records like dirty and washing machine and you know the major label records that don't get a lot of love i think they i think they're great i mean i do too melody, yeah. melody only helped those guys you know Teresa. i thought Teresa's sound world was Fucking one of the most ma- magical songs they ever did you know yeah. and i just i just thought it was and i got that we played with them in australia and i got to sit on the side of the stage and i'm screaming like a little groupie you know like play you know, and and uh, Kim, I think, was looking at me like, who is what's this asshole doing? And so what's, who's this heavy metal asshole on the side of the stage? And, but uh, like, it was oh, that's great. the guy from Helmet. She's like, yeah, yeah, course. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's really funny when we were when we uh, we were I was talking to Thurston uh, at one of the shows and he say, we were, we were backstage. and He said, you know, I saw you guys when you opened for Nirvana, that very first show that Nirvana played in New York. It was our second show ever. And he's like, it was he said it was you know, to be honest, it was painful. I didn't get it. It was so loud and so aggressive. And he goes, now that I get to hear you every night, I fucking love it. It's amazing. So when I think we were so aggressive at first, like it was just so in your face that people, some people it just was too much, you know, and, and uh, they started to hear, hear the music and we probably got better too. I mean, you know, the second show ever, but uh, um, yeah, Nirvana was, was not, that great that night i thought they were there was chad their drummer uh was really disappointed they had kind of fallen apart whatever like on a few songs but you could hear the melodic stuff already they were playing uh in bloom i remember mm-hmm. i go i that on that record came out I'm like they played that song that night i absolutely remember that you know and uh but uh yeah Grohl helped you know nothing against chad Grohl is an amazing you know drummer i mean he's just again he, he's a great backup singer too i mean he's a great singer singer but in Nirvana, he was a great backup singer, yeah. you know. So it was. Uh, I think it's okay. Kind of, he's not here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it kind of brought him. To, I think it helped bring him together. It kind of took him to that yeah. place, you know. So, but uh, yeah, yeah. No, it was a good. I think it was a good scene. I never felt. Uh, I honestly, we never felt in competition with anybody, you know. And I and I always hated that. I always thought that you should support each other, you know. I thought bands should be you know be supportive and um when i hear a band i like i'm going to talk about them you know what i mean and and it's i'm not threatened by them i just i'm just not because i'm not trying to do what anybody else is doing you know what i mean like yeah. I, you're trying you do your thing you know yeah. it's like but it seems like it seems like it's a little harder to not be super competitive in new york and la because yeah. you've got you know the music business is you know yeah right there sitting right there i was either dumb enough or uh, overconfident enough to 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 not <laughs> worry about it. i just like you know i, I kind of naive in a lot of ways like hey we're gonna we're gonna practice three days a week rehearse and and we we stuck to that you know like if your brother's in town bring him to rehearsal or he can wait outside or whatever so i mean what, what about signing with interscope i mean how were you it, just it, approached by everybody or did you yeah. know pretty early on that yeah no it was uh it was like it was truly like a feeding frenzy it was because uh by the time we got back from europe nirvana had broke uh broke uh it broken and so everybody was like trying to get the next nirvana and i'm like have you heard our music 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it does not resemble Nirvana in the least. Uh, and we, you know, had played with them at the Pyramid, and then we played with them later uh, at Seattle Coliseum, and at a we did a benefit with them uh, for No on Nine in uh, Portland, Oregon, my birth town. They were trying to to ban gay teachers from uh, schools, and that was like proposition nine so we right. did this big benefit with nirvana uh so we were very friendly with them or whatever but uh it, it had nothing to do with us it was just they were you know all of a sudden indie labels were were you know um get, getting raided i guess and we had had because of that radio station in long island i can't remember the name of it that plays kind of like they're play the cure and wlir uh, and then they turned into, they were wlir and then later wdre Yes, exactly. So they got the seven inch of unsung and they just started spinning it and they made it a hit in New York. And uh, so so the crowds just, you know, went from, you know, a couple of hundred people to, you know, a thousand in, within the course of six months. And so labels were all showing up. And I met with everyone from Ahmed Erdogan, you know, at Atlantic who signed Led Zeppelin and uh and he, and he told me he heard we were going to be the next big thing, which is pretty awesome. You know, it's like, and he, <laughs> he talked about Frank Sinatra, you know, and, and, and Neil Young. I mean, just, it was just so surreal. Like, cause I knew about him because I'd read Zep biography, you know, bios. Right. right. Uh, but uh, I'm trying to think who else. And they were kind of funny. The label was funny. This guy, Valazzoli, he was the president at the time. And he said to me, um, he said, uh, you know, if you, uh, if you guys, you know, we got, you know, we heard about that Nirvana and that Nirvana, you know, they struck a knife, you know, and if, if Helmut strikes a knife, we'll, we'll be there for you. And I'm like, <laughs> so people are actually telling you that they're looking for the next Nirvana. Absolutely. And, and, and they think you're it. Yes. The, the one guy said, uh, said, you know, helmets in New York and everybody was throwing a million dollars at us. Like, and, uh, and this one guy said, uh, said oh you know we got skid row um and skid, <laughs> uh, skid, skid row's a new york band you're a new york band and i and i go isn't skid row from new jersey and he goes you know new york new jersey and i'm like it's, no sorry it's not the same it's just not and uh but there was I'm trying to interest kate uh, well where kate is Hunt. this guy from what, what what is that accent that that you're doing i'm trying I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do my new york like hey it's, it's, we had we had uh, atlantic records we you know uh, we'll be there for you you know yeah. it's like you gotta uh, so a new yorker it doesn't see the difference between new jersey and new york exactly exactly uh -huh. you know, it was that's so right. bizarre that is correct yeah, another guy that was funny with uh, uh uh well there were a couple that's where i met hugo uh you know from get from gang of four and uh, he was working for Imago, I believe, and it was Chris Ellis who had started Chrysalis Records with with it was Chris Wright and Chris Ellis or Terry yeah, Ellis Ro and Chris, Terry right. Ellis. Rollins and Chris band Wright. was on that label, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and uh, so we met those guys. They were really great. Kate Hyman was really sweet. She actually get one night we were out. She gave me a blank check. She's just like, "What is it going to take?" And she gives me a blank check. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, and I'm trying to think who else we met with that was amusing. That was that was fun. Uh, oh, well, the guy uh, Don Einer said to um, said to the A and R person, he said, "Whatever anybody offers them, offer offer them two hundred thousand dollars more or something." And I was just like, "Wow, this is kind of ridiculous." Because I, I think some of these people had not even heard our music. <laughs> like yeah. honestly, they had no fucking idea what we sounded like. The very first person we met with was uh, uh, this girl Claudia at uh, uh, 
uh, capital. This is before the law before we kind of broke broke out. Um, and we had the we had the demo tape. And I, she was also friends with Renee, who introduced me to Jill Faunus at Twin Tone, et cetera. And, um, and we went in there and the, the manager of the Cocteau Twins was in the office. His name was Ray. I don't remember his last name, but uh, we're sitting in the office and they put the music on. They put on Born Annoying. <laughs> and I was just it was so awesome to see people's faces because I was like, these people are going <laughs> to fucking hate this. And I just was like, I don't care because this this is really good. Like you know, it's in seven eight, and it's just a bashing song. It's <laughs> like just repetitive, just over and over and over and over. You know, and the song's called "Fucking Born Annoying." And uh, the guy was like, "Well, I, it's he's English. I can't do it. It's like it's, it's got some really interesting guitars. The vocals are a bit aggressive." You know, <laughs> I'm just like, "Yep." Um, it was just a trip, man. It was a, a trip. The experience was a trip. But we, with Interscope, we had met with them. Uh, we had met with uh, uh, Anna, a girl, Anna Statman. It was really cool, really nice. She's kind of found us and brought us to the label. Uh, and then Jimmy Iovine flew out, mm-hmm. uh, took us out for dinner. He took us to Umberto's Clam House, um, uh-huh. where that mobster was rubbed out, Joey. Uh, and he picked us up in a stretch limo and took us to dinner there and uh that was fun and um you know i look back on it and it was just all you know part of that dog and pony show whatever um and but the the beautiful thing about interscope is they were a small label at the time and they were hungry and they 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 promoted the band and i i always felt like any music that's good even though if it's not uh, accessible necessarily or mainstream or whatever. If people hear it, there's going to be an audience for it. And I always felt that about Helmet. I felt like, look, it's good. John Stanier said this to me. Hey, you know, not everybody's going to like us, but nobody can say we suck, you know. And he's right. We we worked hard and we played well and, and the songs were interesting and uh, you can't say it sucks, but some people might hate it and some people did, <laughs> you know. So, <laughs> so that's that's cool, you know. Um, but, uh, J- Jimmy, finally, they came down to, they offered, uh, uh, a three album firm and they called it, p- uh, p- pay or play. Mm-hmm. So if, if that meant we got to at least make three records, if not, they have to give us the money for those records. And so that's, that's kind of how that worked. And they, and they also, the other thing that was key for me was, was complete creative control. That means you can give me your opinion, but you can't tell me that i can't put this out and that right. means you know it's my de- it's my de- decision at the end of the day and um you know and they were they're cool with that so that's they 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 didn't say anything the first record a uh, ted field came into the studio we were doing give it uh which starts off in five four you know and it's this big swing heavy cool kind of groove and he goes this is another teen spirit. And I was just like, <laughs> what? I, what are you listening to? Like, this doesn't sound a fucking anything like teen spirit. I'm like, oh my God. Dude. I mean, it, you know, major labels were putting out a lot of crazy aggressive stuff that wasn't going to get on the radio ever. But I mean, you guys had hooks. Yeah. So it, it wasn't, it wasn't like completely out of the question. 
that you guys right. would be on MTV. And, well, you know. I, to- I told because I was suddenly I was this music business expert, according to everyone. I read this. <laughs> I, I read this book by Donald Passman, my manager at the time. Dave Ayers gave me this book by Donald Passman about publishing and the record companies, whatever. I read that. And I'm like, I don't know. Just I just don't want to get fucked over. Yeah. And and I felt like I, we were in good hands. And, uh, y- you know, I I I got calls from I talked to Alan from Quicksand. I talked to Jay from Jawbox. I talked to Shannon from the Cows uh, and, and uh, th- uh, 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 guitar player uh, Thor. Right. Uh, God, why am I drawing a blank? Oh, my God. Um, you know, bands were calling me, you know, oh, Jesus Lizard, David mm. Sims. And, and he sims and yeah and i'm like don't sign to a major label i go we had a quote unquote hit and that's why it worked you know because that that one song sold a half million records and so we pay, paid for paid our advance back you know and so we were making money and i just said it's it, it's not good look at the, the pixies it was terrible for the pixies it was terrible for the replacements it was terrible for sonic youth you know and because because it's still about having a one song that gets on the radio or mtv or whatever the fuck you know and um and i have always felt like after interscope got after meantime by the time we did betty that they had signed uh no doubt they had signed uh, nine inch nails they had signed uh you know all these a lot of a, a lot of bands i think i don't think I, they might have had Dre by then I don't remember but they were they were talking bands that are selling like millions of records right, right. N- not a half a million right. and so we became they just kind of like yeah suddenly we were it was like any other major label and you honestly because Betty was more difficult in the meantime not, not at all I think Betty was like we in the rest of the world Betty did better and I thought if you know Wilma's Rainbow was like to me, a better riff than unsung. And, you know, meantime, I don't know, that's a pretty good riff, but um, that was the first single, you know. I, I feel like there were songs on Betty, uh, you know, that were as catchy to me, like clean. It, it was a little weird. The groove was a little weird, but it was, you know, it had that, you know, the swing feel. I feel like they just kind of, they had put us in with all the other bands, make a video. Uh, do this, you know, and and I uh, meet Milk Toast. I mean, Milk Toast yeah. was on the on the Crow soundtrack, and that went platinum, you know. And it was one of the lead tracks on there, along with Stone Temple Pilots. I can't remember who else was on there. There's a lot of bands on there, yeah. Uh, you know, um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Like, you know, I I also did that interview for Rolling Stone a million years ago when we did the the Judgment Night thing, and they were like, "This whole rap and rock thing together, this could be huge." And I'm like, "No way, man. Like, <laughs> this is a one shot deal, man. This isn't gonna work." You know, so, Dude, the whole thing was your fault. That, oh, it's like that's God. the that's the that's 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 why I'm not an A and R guy. Well, you, yeah. I mean, was there a, a, a I don't know a, a slap back like? You know, I mean, your band wasn't the first to have their signing advance, you know, widely discussed in the press. There was a lot of talk, you know, how much yeah. Nirvana got when they signed to Geffen. But when yeah. you guys signed, their uproar, it was off the charts. And that's all anybody talked about for a while. I mean, yeah. do you think that hurt you in the end? I don't not, know. Not in the end, but, it, you know, know, in that short run. It, 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 it didn't hurt me personally or the, no. like, or the, or the music or, like, because I, I don't. I don't pay attention to that, any of that stuff, you know, like I, 
the first time I read a bad review, it was so ridiculous that I, that I said, this is the last review I'll ever read. Because it, uh, it was enemy Melody Maker were the warring factions in England. Yeah. And all I'd, all I'd heard up to that point were, were good things about the band. And in my opinion, we were honest and are honest. And that's why 32 or three years later, we're still able to record and tour you know, the world because we were never trying to be something we weren't. So if that doesn't work for somebody, that's cool. I'm fine with that. But if somebody attacks you personally or they're going to make it about, you know, uh, your, your appearance or your record deal or whatever, then it, it's, you know, at the end of the day, if the music is not, you know, it's not there, then, you know, it's you'll, you'll suffer. Yeah, so. it just seemed like every <laughs> everything back then was was more about the business side of it because everything yeah. was blowing up, you know, yeah. something for, for these, I mean, they're industry rags. Like, yeah. They, they say they're music magazines, but they're all industry rags. You yeah. Know? That's all they want to talk about really is money. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, like, I'm, you know, we, uh, I'm friends with Jason from alternative press and, uh, you know, he's a really good writer and he's really smart and he's listening to, I mean, he's like loves bizarre, like Albert Eiler and like, I mean, uh, you know, Cecil Taylor, he's stuff, but he's writing about AFI or whatever, you know, yeah. and, and it's, it's, it's just, it's kind of, it's a job in a, in a lot of ways. And that's, yeah. you know, like he's very good at his job and he does, but, but I, you know, he's a dear friend of mine and we hang out and he's like, Oh my God, some of this music we have to write about. It's on the cover. I'm like, you know, but it's, that's, I understand, you know, I, like, I understand that that's, you have to, make a living you know and that's um that's okay you know so i feel uh, fortunate you know i mean it was we would you got to do europe with this it was so much yeah. fun like we that we've we've been able to to do that now for you know for 30 years to go and play you know play all over in australia new zealand japan and europe and the u.s and to me that's that's fine. You know, that's enough. I don't need to, I never was going for like playing Madison square garden. It was, I knew helmet was never that kind of band. You know what I mean? It's, um, that's one of the things Ahmed Erdogan, Erdogan said to me about you too. Cause he's like, he compares us to Ryan and I, us too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You too. <laughs> Ahmed's talking about us again. Ahmed, exactly. Yeah. Ahmed, yeah. Get, get my name out your mouth. Ahmed. <laughs> comparing us to the to to you two i'm just like oh my god you have not heard a note have you you know <laughs> it's just like like i should have played him tick you know like <laughs> yeah uh, but yeah no i mean we we had a we you know we have a blast touring with you guys i mean I, I there's not another band that we've gotten along with better like and you know yeah you're still you're still our good friends and stuff like yeah that. no i know it's interesting we 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 uh, like the toadies we toured with the toadies in the u.s and we tried to take them over uh before you, you guys a couple years earlier and there was just people were like nah you know the, the promoters and and then our agent was like i'm not getting a good response but we brought you guys up and they were like yeah so oh, i mean good. It takes nothing away from toadies <laughs> You know, because we love them. No, but we. Just, I love touring with those guys too. Yeah, they're great. They're awesome. They're good friends of ours still. But yeah. they, but we couldn't get we couldn't get like at that time. Maybe it was the timing. I don't know. But it worked out great with you guys. I thought it was that was a great. Yeah, obviously, a really great. Then yeah, we met you guys on one of the shittiest tours ever. You know, like like. <laughs> but that we always talk about that. 
this great thing came out of it, this friendship and this great musical, you know, like we're You're talking about the, the filter end. tour. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to slag anybody. No, 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 no. Yeah. Europe was fun. Hey, here's a good question for you. Is it just a coincidence that your music is so pummeling and precise and you speak fluent German? And that Germans love you? Is that just a coincidence? Or is, is there something going there, on here? There's probably something to that. You know, the whole story about me learning German was my cousin, Rhonda. She was, uh, we were uh, in high school, and she was had this German book, and she was taking a German class. I'm like, why are you taking a foreign language? She's like, um, you know, I'm 12 or whatever. Well... <laughs> It's good to, you know, expand your horizons. And then she would say, like, you know, Beethoven's German. And I was like, <laughs> oh, oh, really? Anyway, I go to school and I, I wanted all my my uh, uncles and aunt had uh, degrees in, uh, in business, BS. And I was like, I really important to me. I wanted to get a Bachelor of Arts degree. So I, I got to take art history and a foreign language. And I thought to myself, look, I'm playing classical guitar I love Bach. I love Beethoven. And then I, you know, so I got in music school and it kind of expanded my knowledge and whatever, and my listening. And, you know, Mozart is Austrian technically, but, uh, you know, spoke German and wrote in German. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was just like, man, all this incredible music came out of this one place, Vienna. We look at the, you know, Viennese musical scene. To me, there's Vienna and Detroit, uh, Memphis, uh, obviously New York, Chicago, LA, all you know have different scenes, but they're these scenes that are just like, you know, influenced everything, you know, and and that is that's one of them. I mean, you know, Beethoven died in 1827, right? And his we're still like his still music still moves us and still yeah, is it, it doesn't feel. Just, fair to compare chicago to vienna it's just it's <laughs> i know not... i know i know i know but i just was fascinated by you know by that and so my cousin took german and i thought i'm going to study german and i did then they had this exchange program my my state uh, university of oregon with uh, the state of baden-württemberg and uh Wittenberg in stuttgart and so i said i'd never lived in a big city before so uh, that was the biggest city in the program so i went there and they also happened to have a really good um uh, opera there and uh so yeah just i ended up i ended up there in a little apartment in a, a old an old uh swabish neighborhood and uh i don't know there is a rhythmic there is a something to it this the 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 as you say the staccato percussiveness the aggressiveness like cussing in german is great it's like it's like very like oh it's like kiss yeah. my ass fuck you it's this great you know the rhythmic rhythmic thing and you you listen to beethoven and and it's just like you know ah it's just it's <laughs> maybe i don't know i don't know well here's something good yeah. what, what tell us about playing guitar for bowie how the fuck yeah. did that happen? Well, I was at uh, one of the one of the top three or four or five low points of my life. I had just <laughs> left. I, 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 I had just left probably my soulmate, my wife, um, uh, Ocean, who's a, an amazing woman, actually. And, but I, I, uh, I felt like she wasn't supportive in my about my music. She wanted me 
to herself and she it was always a problem going on tour and stuff and uh you know i which i understand to a certain extent but so i was crashing on my manager's um futon sofa in the east village and um uh i got this call these calls a bunch of calls one day the answering machine it was the, the accountants the business managers the manager a manager everybody where the fuck are you and i had been out uh i i had been out all night i i, I stumbled home uh Atta from boy. yeah i'd stumbled home from the, from the west village from a, a nice woman delane's house and and brownies after hours and just uh so it was probably like three in the afternoon and uh i got got there and he was like uh my manager i, I got a beer out of the fridge and i was going to quit smoking that day and everybody's like david bowie's trying to reach you and i was like yeah yeah right okay stop fucking with me they're like no i'm serious when can you talk to him and i'm like wow well been up all night i was gonna try to quit smoking today let me get a pack of cigarettes and a, <laughs> and a beer kind of call wrong down. day to stop smoking yeah exactly so they said five o'clock five o'clock five o'clock on the nose david bowie calls and, I, and literally he's like hello page it's david bowie and i <laughs> i think i said no shit <laughs> and uh, um he told me he said at one point he said because uh, i he's like uh he said you know we don't do all heavy aggressive music you know and uh, and and, and uh, i it's like i know it's like yeah really i go i know i said i can play quiet and beautiful and he goes and anyway at one point he said it's Thanks not for all your... tin machine page. yeah yeah exactly you know he said thanks for your enthusiasm and um oh my one of my favorite quotes he, he goes uh he goes what time do you get up be honest and uh and i said you know noonish uh, and he's like, right. Could you make it to the studio at 11 or something? I'm like, you know, what do you say? Of course. Yeah. Of course. I'm like, yes, Mr. David Bowie. Um, so I met him the next day at the studio and uh, uh, they played me a bunch of music. I met Mark Platty, who's uh, his, uh, his uh, uh, producer at the time. Um, I met Holly, uh, one of the backing singers uh, who was doing some vocal things, I believe. Um, and Holly Palmer, uh, and then uh, yeah, and he just uh, gave me he gave me. I want to say that first day that they give me twenty songs or thirty songs, I can't remember. They gave me a list of songs, and it was it it ended up being uh, uh, I had two weeks to learn thirty songs, uh, and uh, so yeah, so I I told my I called my uh, wife that I was separated from at that point, and I said I need. To, to have access to the house or to the apartment because we had a house in Woodstock and she's like, we can't have the house. And I'm like, okay, I need the apartment then because I can't be at David Whitehead's house, my manager trying to figure out 30 Bowie songs without the stereo, you know? So it was literally boxes of Chinese takeouts, ashtrays of cigarettes, my, my, you know, turntable and records and whatever I, I had that I was just like learning songs, learning songs, learning songs. So it's like, I made some charts. Um, first rehearsal was just he and I, um, and it was, a we had an ups, upside down mic stand as an ashtray. Cause we were both chain smokers at the time. And, uh, we did, uh, Clever. yeah, we did. Yeah. We did quicksand. It was the first song, uh, uh, that I played with him. Um, and uh it was just surreal man it was yeah. fucking surreal because these 
it was just you know him sitting on a stool and me sitting on a stool with cigarettes and he had a mic and i had my guitar the wedges were facing us and his voice comes out. <laughs> so his voice fucking comes out of the speaker into my ears. my And I'm just like, okay, concentrate. You know, yeah. don't fuck, play the song. You, you know, it's like, it's just David Bowie. He's just like any other musician and, you know, like not. Right. Uh, it was great. It was really amazing. So, I mean, gave me the, a bunch of songs I had. So it's just like, there's a 30 years of material to cover. So you got stuff, everything from uh, Diamond Dogs and uh, Latin Sane to Tin Machine stuff, you know, which is ashes very. Ashes Yeah. We, uh, we didn't do that until uh, uh, we were in Europe and we were kind of badgering him to do it. And Platty pulled out his guitar and we were in the dressing room. We were doing a TV show. And so it was these open dressing rooms, like these kind of cubicles. And so we start strumming and we're like ashes to ashes. And so he starts singing and he's like, and he goes, he goes, it's how embarrassing. They probably think, Oh, listen to the old guy playing his old songs or whatever. Yeah. Something like <laughs> Bowie, Bowie said something like that. And we were all cracking up. We we're like, yeah, 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 yeah. So he said, okay, okay. Ashes to ashes. But we, we had to transpose it to it because his voice had gotten lower. Yeah. Um, it was really uh, cute. I will say when he would say something like, uh, Oh, I was stay. He goes, Right, okay, we're going to do stay in the original key. And so it was like he was proud that he could still sing that song in the original <laughs> right. key. Exactly. I mean, it was so cool. It was so cool. I was the one that suggested repetition. We were in rehearsal one day, and I love Lodgers, like, to me, one of the most. And now we covered Move On, as you may, may or may not have heard, is on the, the little helmet box set thing. And uh, to me, the most underrated album of all time. And, uh, and I Your box like, you set. Know, uh, no, yeah, yeah, exactly. Thanks, Scott. Uh, yeah, no fucking lodger, asshole. Um, but I was just like, uh, you know, have you guys have you done repetition live? He's like, oh my god. He's like, what? You know, no. So he said, told everybody learn repetition. We came back the next day or two days later, whatever. We played it. It was amazing. And he turns to me and he's like. Is, and my hair was bleached white at the time. He's like, whose idea was that? Was that you, Pagey? It's like, and he goes, tall, thin, skinny blondes think alike. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> yes, Mr. Bowie. Yeah, you know, it's like, so we did repetition. It was fucking amazing. It was so cool. To, you know, he just, he just was a loving, beautiful, like, I don't know. I just, just I mean, he's obviously, you know, incredibly special and genius and like a great singer, a great writer, a great everything, really smart guy, but also loving, just a beautiful, he called me, um, I think Crover teases me about this from Melvin's all the time. Cause I told them his story. It's like, he's like, he's like, Oh God, hangover Hamilton's at it again. Cause I bumped into him on an elevator in Paris. We were staying at uh, the, the corridor hotel and we were in Paris for like a week or something. And I had my, my hotel room was like, twice as big as my New York city apartment. And I had like two entrances and I was, so we were at the TV show and everybody in the band was sober except for me. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not fucking wasting all this free beer. So I got these bags and I carried the beer back to the hotel. And I literally, I walk to the elevator and the doors open. And I'm like, Oh, I, I turned to get on the elevator. Who's on the elevator, but the boss. 
And and I and I'm like, hey, and I set the bags down and the bottles like clank, 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 clank. And he goes, Oh God, hangover Hamilton's at it again. And I was like, <laughs> I didn't want to waste the beer, man. <laughs> so he was I never drank uh before during the show, obviously. You know, right. I had to learn thirty fucking songs and play Wembley Stadium in front of, you know, Princess Di and Mick I, Jagger. So I mean, put that into context, like, you know. The, his guitar players. You got Mick Ronson. You got Robert yeah. Fripp. You got oh, Carlos. A, uh, Carlos is amazing. Uh, you, you know, got Baloo, right? Baloo, Adrian Baloo, right? And yeah, yeah. you know, Steve Ray Vaughan. Yeah, too, Steve Ray like Vaughan. A lot of people don't even. And, and my my pal Reeves Gabrels, who's right. you know phenomenal, like in a general, you know, and that and the reason I, I was filling in for that period of time was because Reeves had had a really rough time. He'd gone through some stuff and. Um, they had to part ways. So, and Reeves told me he's like, "Paige, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that it's you." He's like, "You're my friend. You're, you're my peer. I'm so happy it's you." And, and it, it was great. It was a great experience for you know for a while, but it was also for me as a as a as a band leader and a songwriter. I'm a hired gun right now, and even though it's like you know the greatest cover band gig in the history of you know <laughs> you could ever imagine. Like, that's funny. I did these classic rock songs the other night. It's the first time I've ever done a cover gig. But it's like, I'm with Bowie. I'm playing someone else's music. And I love it. But I still have my thing I got to do. You wow, know? Yeah, and it's yeah. like, so it's like, but uh, he was, he was lovely. I mean, I, it was, I was really. Did you ever get to a point where you felt comfortable around him? Or was it always, you couldn't stop thinking, holy shit, it's David Bowie. No, I, I you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I felt, I was never trying to. Uh, get my moment with him. Like I was never trying to, I, he called me his quiet one. He's like, Peggy's my quiet one because I just stayed in the background. I wasn't trying to like have my moment with, with, with right. one of my heroes. I just like, I'm doing my job. I'm, it's an honor to be on stage with the man. I don't know if you saw, they released the Paris show that we did uh, from 99 for at the uh, Elysee Montmartre. It's uh, oh. it's yeah, it's out there. So thank God I played, I played, uh, you know, okay. Uh, but it's, it's just an honor, you know, to play his music and be on stage with him and to learn from him, you know, and he would like turn to me in rehearsal and say things. Sometimes he's like, so advice for budding young songwriters. I, <laughs> I nicked half my tunes from Danny Kay, the inchworm. And he'd look right at, you know, and I just be like, <laughs> okay, okay. I got it. I got it. Danny Kay, the inchworm. Okay. You know, he was just, he, he's just really like, this really, really cool guy. He would come up to like, we were at the airport in La, in LaGuardia going to Canada to do the Much Music Awards, and I, I went to the, I got some Chinese food and I went and found a table by myself, gonna eat, and he finds me. He gets Chinese food. And he comes up and he sits down across from me, and I'm kind of like, hey, you know. And so we just hung, you know. And but like, I was never trying to you know, be up his ass. Cause everybody was up his ass. I mean, it was yeah. just like, it's just like everywhere you go. Like, and I just thought like, I'm just, I love the man. I, I, I glad I got to know him a little bit as a human being. He came, um, I ran into Coco, uh, who's been with him since Ziggy days at a nine inch nail show. We were backstage and she's like, what are you doing? And I go, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm you know, working on some music and I'm, uh, my, my friends, the wire are coming to town. I'm going to see them play at uh, at Irving Plaza. And so uh, she calls me the next day and she's like, I just talked to David and he wants to go to the show with you. And I'm like, great. Um, I go, do I need to get him on the guest list? 
she's like, no, no, he'll be okay. And uh, he came and picked me up, you know, in, in his limo. Uh, you know, a driver. It was a it was a town car, but it was like Coco and David and I, and and it was just awesome. I got to go to see you know see my dear friends and heroes Wire. Uh, my other great friend Jim Thurwell from Fetus was was DJing, and David had met Jim uh, a couple of years earlier when Jim was a mess, when he was uh, like drunk and falling down and just not not didn't have a shit together yeah. so I, I said hey you know my friend jim thurwell's gonna be dj and he's like oh right he's like is he how is he I go he's great he's sober he's great he's you're gonna love it and so i you know got to reintroduce them and then i walked in the dressing room and um and uh you know to introduce him to bowie robert poss from banna susan's was there um uh, and you know too so that it was just really cool it's just really nice you know and he uh he uh he he loved the show thought they were great you know and and uh he he uh, i brought wire up to him we were playing um on the he Jules. wasn't familiar with wire before then he didn't really know him no he he he'd heard of them but he wasn't that familiar with their music but he uh uh we, we were on uh, the jules holland show huh. and it was D- diana crawl um gomez and Elastica and one other band I can't remember. Well, Elastica starts playing. Yeah, do you know that show at all? You, yeah. They set they set you up in a circle, so that band plays, and then you're and you sit and wait in the dark, and then they go to you and you play right. around the circle. So we're sitting there. He and I were. He was sitting on the kick drum, and we're smoking a cigarette. And Elastica starts playing, uh-huh. and I'm like, and I and I lean in, and I'm like. Uh, <laughs> I was like, fucking, this is fucking lowdown. Like, he's like, what? And I go, wire, this is fucking lowdown. No, hold on, Elastica. (laughs) Yeah. Well, they later said, Elastica said something like, oh, wire, you know, approved or whatever. No, they didn't. They sued them. them. It was like, yeah, yeah, they sued and lost because it's like fucking wire song, note perfect, you know? But uh, so it was kind of cool to get to take him to see wire you know who are just they're so important you know they're just such an important band you know for me and i th- think just from you know a lot of people like mike i know stipe like loved them and uh i mean and peter buck and those guys a lot of people really love you know uh yeah, lo- love wire them. yeah exactly you know yeah. so uh yeah it was great great experience really cool cool dude he's i miss i i i, I miss you know that I could email him on his birthday. His, his email was, I forget what it is, sailor uh, shit at Yahoo or something. You know, I just email him and say, happy birthday. That's it. You know, like whatever. That's like, <laughs> I just love the idea of him hanging out in New York. Yeah, no, he's just, I think he had been Coco actually talked to me at one point, you know, David's been sober for 12 years and he's really happy. And I'm just like, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm not, I, you know, that's good. That's great. But I'm not, no, I, you know, like life without booze. I don't think so. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I mean, whatever I, you know, he told me some stories or I pried some stories at him a couple of times. Cause I talked to Garson and uh, I'd be like, so on the Ziggy tour. And he said, Oh yeah, man, forget about it. He'd climb up on a, you know, speakers and he was wearing a jock strap. He forgot to put his costume on and he broke his leg. And, and I, and so I was like, so what happened? You were broke your leg. He's like, Oh, he said, what did he say to me? He's like, Oh, right. I don't remember much about those years. <laughs> you know, so he, he was so fucked up. So, yeah. 
you know, I never performed fucked up. I mean, I went through a phase where I was drinking too much when, uh, you know, we were, when I had John Tempesta and Frankie Bello and Chris Trainer in the band, cause we were friendly with Dimebag. And when he was murdered, we were in Berlin. And so that was, that was awful, obviously. And so we all started drinking that awful drink that he drank that black tooth. <sighs> and, uh, God, we got fucked up a lot. You know, we were, so we played some drunk shows, but we were opening for Chevelle. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> like, come on. It was like, uh, you know, great, great guys, but I'm sorry. Uh, man. I know. <laughs> it's like, oh God. It's like, yeah. Anyway, that's enough of that. Yeah. Well, Paige, it's great to see you. Yeah, you too, Scott. Congratulations again. I can't wait to give you a big hug next time. You know, Justine says hi. Oh, please give her my love, man. That's great. I'm so happy for you guys. So, yeah, man. I mean, I I hope uh, you're going to going to Germany, right? Is that is that on? Is that happening, or did you cancel it again? Uh, No, right now it's happening. Yeah, March. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I hope you can get out there. You're gonna you're you're not gonna realize how much you've missed it. Yeah. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. Yeah. I've already talked to my friends in Holland and my friends in South France and my friends in, in London. I'm organized. Like, I'm going to see you. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. So we just, I hope it happens. So that's the next thing we do. These, we're going to finally, hopefully do these two shows with system of a down in LA. And then, uh, the next will be the Europe tour. So can't wait to see you guys, you can't know, wait to stay, see you. yeah, stay safe. And, and, uh, and, you know, thanks you guys for having me too. Thanks Auf Wiedersehen. Auf Wiedersehen. Cheers. Okay. Cheers. All right. All right, guys. Thanks Have a great page. night. Okay. Bye, see you. Too. Bye. 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 Johnny is a man. And he's bigger than you. But his overheads are high. And he looks straight through you when you ask him how the kids are. Cause the chef is real old And could have had a Cadillac If the school had taught him right And he could have married And with the blues and blouse While the food is on the table But the food is cold Don't hit her. To even cook. What's the good of me working when you can't damn cook? Well, Johnny is a man. A man is bigger than her. Guess the bruises won't show. If she wears long sleeves. Space in her eyes shows through.